Open your Bible, Second Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter one, and uh, so if you find it, it's on page eleven forty-five. If you're using the uh, Bible provided for you there in the back of the pew in front of you, and uh, if you're on the front pew, maybe somebody behind you'll hand you one. Now, glad to see y'all this morning with an icy weekend. We were supposed to have eight inches of snow, instead we got about an inch of ice or so, and uh, and thankfully it warmed up enough this morning for all of us to get to church. So uh, that was that was great. Amen. Amen. Man, I love that last song, don't you? The great I am. I, I hope when y'all are singing, you're paying attention to the words you're singing. Because that, that, that's who he is. Amen. There's only one I am, and it's God himself, right? Okay. No one's going to wait till y'all can catch up to me, all right? So, yeah, exactly. I, I just... Um, I know that there's a nationally known pastor out there wrote a book about I am and he was saying how we are I am and I just think the man must not have ever read a Bible or something I don't know but there's only one I am and it's God himself and we that is who we worship today so I'm excited I'm starting uh, into 2 Corinthians we're going to go through that book uh, this year and uh I want to say as quickly as we can, but as slow as we need to at the same time. But, uh, but I want to ask you a question as we get started. I'm excited about doing this book. It's, I think it's, it's one of the most overlooked books in the New Testament. We all concentrate on 1 Corinthians. There's a lot in there. Uh, but 2 Corinthians is, um, well, it's just, it's necessary for us. It, it, it's the most, one of the most encouraging books there is. So I hope you'll get a lot out of it uh, as we go through it. But uh, the question I want to ask you is, uh, before we begin is, how many of you want to be a stronger, stronger Christian this year, 2024? Well, amen, me too. Well, here's the good news. The only way you can do that is by being weak. You've got to get weaker. You can't be strong because you don't have it in you. You have to be weak for God to work in you. Because every place where you think you can do it, you're, you're getting in the way of God. How many of you have had children or have children? Or maybe if you didn't have children, you got grandchildren. How about that? That was impossible, y'all. I can't believe y'all did that. Anyway, have you ever, you remember teaching them how to tie their shoes? And you're trying to show them and you're trying to help them and they're going, I can do it. Yeah, and they're just getting in the way and so you go, okay, fine. Until they go, can you help me? Okay, now they'll let you help them, right? Guess what? <laughs> We don't grow up, we just get older and bigger, you know? And we do that to God. He's trying to show us something and we keep getting in his way. And, and so this opening part of 2 Corinthians is Paul telling us how God can't work in us unless we're weak. But he's also showing us something that God is doing and allowing that in. I'm going to have to define a couple of words as we get into it. But if, if you are, um, the, the theme of this whole book, if you want to look at it, is in the same book, obviously, but look over at chapter 12. And again, if you need the page number, it's 1152. And, and it's a kind of familiar passage, uh, but we take, we don't even say the whole verse when we say it. We kind of pick a phrase or two out of it, and there's actually two verses there we need to look at. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, and it says this, but he said to me, and, and that but tells you got to know what's going on. What's going on is, Paul has revealed how much God had given to him and revealed to him and what he was able to, to see and he's writing it all down. And it, then he says, so that I wouldn't get 
pride, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. This isn't exactly what he said. But so I didn't get high-minded. So I didn't think I was the big shot. He said, God sent a messenger from Satan to buffet me just to keep me humble. And three times he said, I asked God to remove it. And twice God said no. And the third time, and we come to verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Catch that? Then look at the next verse. Therefore, because God's power is made perfect in my weakness, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now that, it, as, I, as I tried to think of how can I explain this, it seemed very hard to get a grip on it. So I promise you, I, it's hard for me to explain, and I'm not sure I can explain it very well, but I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit, whom we all need to help interpret Scripture to us, right? And I'm going to trust him to help us with this today. So why don't I pray right now? Father, in Jesus' name, we come into your presence. Father, by the powerful name of Jesus, by the, by the name of Yahweh that has been given to us as a family name, we call you Father. And so we come because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we do ask, Lord Jesus, that you would pour the Holy Spirit on this body right now today. Of all those who might hear this message uh, because we're recording it, Lord. But for myself, for every one of us, that you would help us to understand what you're teaching us, what we have to do. And give us grace, Lord, to hear from you today. We ask you to rebuke our enemy for us. Give us freedom. We ask you to silence uh, any evil uh, spirit, any demon here that would, would uh, interrupt us, would confuse our thinking. And that right now you would give us the grace, the power, the mercy to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to tell you, Paul didn't just come up with this out of the blue. Because, um, listen to what the Bible says. Uh, well, where, what it said there. And it, in Isaiah, he gave us another passage. He says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who might, uh, has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men will fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And he goes on, mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary. Uh, The Bible tells us that God is the one who gives us his strength. And in Isaiah, he also says that the weakness of God is stronger than men. The wisdom of God is, is the the weakness of God is stronger than the wisdom of men. Why would you seek to be strong in yourself when the best you can do is less than what God can do? You following me? We... We're trying, we're like that little kid trying to tie his shoes that doesn't know how yet. We're just getting in God's way. And God says, I can do this perfectly if you just let me do it through you. But we go, no, 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 I want to do it. And we, we've mistaken strength for ability and power to overcome someone physically. And by overcome, I don't mean outlast them. I mean, we think it means I've got to be more powerful than them. But the Bible describes power and obedience and overcoming as not letting go of God. Now, that's a very simple way to say it. And 
Seven churches in Revelation. He says to him who overcomes. And if you read it, the way they overcame was by not denying the testimony of Jesus even when they were being put to death. And when we are faithful to God to the end and we won't come off of that no matter the threat against us, we are overcomers. And it takes God's strength and power for us to do that. So, I want you to take this phrase home. I didn't word it very well. But when we are weak, God gives us comfort and abundance. When we are powerless, God gives us his strength in abundance is what I mean to say. And so let me read these 11 verses. I know it's kind of long, but let me read it so I can just talk about it and you'll have at least a context. Uh, Beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, It's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Notice that word, endure. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. I want you to notice in the, in the greeting, it's a typical greeting in the Bible. Um, in the, this is a letter, don't forget that. All the epistles are letters that Paul wrote to individuals or churches. And we um, start our letters by saying, dear so-and-so. They started their letters with telling them, this is who's sending the letter to you, okay? They, they start with it so you don't go, who's this from? How many times have you opened something you wasn't sure who sent it? And before you look at anything else, you look, well, who sent this? And you look at the end to see. Well, they solved that problem a long time ago. We got it somewhere along the line. We turned it back around. So he says, Paul, that's me. Everybody knows Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, this is important for the rest of the book. Because what Paul is going to have to do to the church at Corinth is tell them, I'm the guy God gave the authority to come and teach you. And they were listening to some teachers they ought not be listening to. We got plenty of teachers today out there on TV, radio, uh, all electronic medias and in buildings that are going to teach you stuff that is wrong. I listened to a couple of them this week and went, man, that guy is just, he's just making stuff up. I mean, it just wasn't in the Bible what he was saying. And so Paul is having to defend his apostleship throughout this book. But in the midst of it, he's given us some good uh, advice about how we ought to live our life. So then he says who he's sending it and he says, and Timothy our brother. Timothy is your brother, my brother, and he's also with me here. And then he says, to the church of God at Corinth. And notice that. I I love that in the New Testament. It's not to this particular denomination, not to this particular church in a particular city. It's to the church in that city. God's only got one church in every city. Y'all know that, right? 
We, we just happen to be the Baptist branch on this corner. You with me? Amen. And God's got other branches on other corners. And we all reach a particular kind of person. So God has blessed us by helping us spread our approach to explaining everything to folks by spreading us out a little bit. And that's, that's not a bad thing. If we don't forget that we're all one church at heart. We're all one body. There is no separation. And guess what? None of us are 100% right. Now, we don't want to admit that because we think we are, right? You know, some guy died and, and went to heaven and he's getting uh, introduced to where he is and what's going on. He went, well, the Presbyterians are over there and Episcopals are over there. That's not true. We don't get separated. This is a joke. Okay, y'all with me? All right. You know, Methodist over there and he goes, and those are the Baptists. And then he keeps walking and the guy goes, wait, wait, why did you whisper? He said, they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, you know, we all got that kind of going on for us, don't we? We, we think we're the only, only ones that are going to make it. But I want you to catch that third verse. Now, that, like I said, that, he wishes them grace and mercy, which is wonderful. Because he says, grace to you, I'm not mercy, but peace. Grace and peace. Now, grace is a great word, and it can be not defined, but it has a lot of facets to it. And, and to me, the best way to say it, grace is the power of God to accomplish his will. Whether God is giving the grace or he grants us the grace to do the job, his grace brings us into right relationship and empowers us to do what he asks us to do. So grace is God's power to accomplish in our life what he wants and to help us accomplish in our life what he wants us to do. And peace. Well, peace is, we had a whole sermon on that during the Christmas season, that peace, we have peace of God, uh, with God, because we were sinners and he saved us. So now we're at peace with God because before we know Christ, we're at war with God. The Bible says, in the flesh is the enemy of God. And so God turned his enemies into his family through the death and blood of Christ. And when we surrender in that battle with God, he gives us peace with him. His frown, his wrath has turned to a smile for those who say yes to him and let him be their father. And when that happens, now we have the peace of God as we live life. Because we're at peace with God, we don't have to war with anybody. Because we are now at peace with God and have his peace in us. So Paul asked for those things. But notice how he says it in verse 3. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I discovered something that maybe I didn't realize before uh, this week. Because look now at verse 4 for one second. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort. Now, I've read that passage through many, many, many times. And it always kind of seemed weird. He's repeating himself. I, I, repetition's a good thing. But sometimes, if you are repeating what you've already told me, I get a little aggravated. I'll just go ahead and admit it. All right? It's like, I heard you the first time. You don't have to say it again. All right. Now, sometimes I need to hear it again because I might have missed you. I might have, you know, squirreled off because I'm ADD and I might have gone off over here and missed it. And I'll go, oh, wait, can you say that again? But, but so many times when I get it, okay, quit telling me that. Go on to the next thing. Why did he say it twice? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort. Why did he say that? Here's why I never kind of realized this. He's intensifying what he's asking for. He's saying, because God and Jesus, 
there are two persons but one God. The Holy Spirit is also one God with them. And he's saying, I'm asking for the fullness of God. I want all the power of God to be flowing into what I'm saying here. And I, I want you to have that kind of grace. I want you to have that kind of peace. I want you to have that kind of mercy and that kind of comfort. He's trying to make us realize that everything we need comes from a God who is holy, holy, the great I am, all-powerful. Amen, yes. I mean, that's how I know you heard what I just said, okay? When you say amen. And so, that just really caught my attention. When, when I started looking at that and I read that, said this is intensifying what he's saying. It's enough to say God. It's enough to call on Jesus. That's plenty because if you get God, you get all three persons of the Godhead. You get everything God's got to give you, right? But we have to empty ourselves so God can fill us up more. And here Paul is saying, I really want you to understand how this is coming at you. And so, in verses 4 through 7 that I've already read, we keep seeing two words. And, and in the ESV, they translate them about the same way every time. King James gives different words throughout. But it's still just three words that are being translated the same way over and over. And he talks about comfort and affliction. In the ESV, those are the main words he uses. Affliction and comfort. Affliction and comfort. So I, wanna, I want you to understand what affliction means. There are two words that are used for affliction. And one is for us. The kind of affliction we have. And I'm going to tell you the Greek word just because it's fun to say. Flipsis. T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. Flipsis. Y'all want to say that? Flipsis. Okay, yeah. It sounds, that's almost like one of those words. Yeah, I'm getting flipped all over the place, right? So, I know that made no sense, but it's funny in my head. Anyway. <laughs> but that word means to have a pressure, to have an anguish. To have a burden or persecution. Now, that, so that persecution can be physical, but persecution can be an emotional persecution too, right? It's almost as if he's saying the persecution that you're having, the, the, the affliction you're having is more of a pressure you feel based on circumstances. Now, later on, he's going to talk about the suffering of Christ, and he's going to use a different word, and I, I, um, and I wrote it down, but it means Something that you undergo, a hardship. So Christ's suffering is a physical suffering associated along with the anguish. Because remember his heart burst on the cross from the pressure of all of our sin hanging on him. That's why blood and water came out when they stuck the spear in his side. Because the, the blood, the heart had burst literally open and I was going to use a medical word but I'm afraid I'm using the wrong one. But the heart is encased in a in a bubble of water, you get too much water, that's bad. And when they stuck it, the blood and water came out, showing his heart had exploded inside of his body. He had not only the physical suffering, but he had the pressure of the sin of the entire world upon him. And then, so we start seeing in verse 4, and first thing I want you to notice is affliction is necessary according to the scripture here. Look what it says. Who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort with which we were comforted. I didn't tell you what the word comfort means, did I? I just realized that. Um, the word uh, uh, comfort means, uh, uh, it's a, always a variation of the word paraclete. It's, you're in, God comes alongside of you. He 
He invites you to walk with him when, when you're suffering. Can you imagine, maybe you can't, but you go on a hike. You go for a walk in the woods. And you say, I've never done that in my life. Okay, but just imagine it. Remember when you were a kid and you went wandering off. You're in a store with your parents and you get lost. When does comfort come? When the rescuers find you, right? When someone comes alongside and says, you go, I'm lost. And they go, I know, but I know the way out. Follow me, right? That's what he's describing. When we're in that affliction, God comes alongside of us and leads us out. So let's look at the affliction a little bit more. And it's a necessary thing. Why is affliction necessary in our life? So that we can understand what God wants to do, not only for us, but that we can turn around and help somebody else in their affliction. Now, all of us, I I, I was going to generalize. I don't want to generalize too much. All of us, to some degree, think, you know, our life is the worst. At some point in our life, at least, we go, oh, nobody's got it as bad as me. And then somebody points out, no, there are some people who got a lot worse than you do. But we, we, we feel that way. And what we ought to realize is that God's got you in that spot to show you how awesome he is. That God, you say, well, you don't know the parents I had. You don't know the physical things I have. You don't know what I inherited. You don't know what happened to me as a kid. You don't know what happened to me at this point. But God does, because God could have changed all that. But he created you uniquely, not only to handle that, but to only handle it with his grace. And when God gives you that power, that grace to handle it, you start understanding, and then God will show you someone who needs what you just learned so you can go help them. See, God meant us to do all this together, not individually. So if you're suffering, you're suffering so you can help someone else in their suffering. This ought to just be kind of our attitude. And our suffering is necessary because you only learn through failure. You only learn through pain. You only, I mean, you learn best. Let me put it that way. You can learn and you can repeat it. But when you experience it, you know what you're talking about. I'm not saying you can't learn it and know it, but boy, when you go through it, now you really understand what people are talking about. And so when you've gone through something like that and you see someone in that same problem, then you're able to help them. In verse 5, we see that we share with Christ's suffering. Now, I told you uh, in this verse, who comforts us our affliction. And then in verse 5, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. And that is his literal anguish on the cross. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. We have to understand. This is why Christianity, you don't become a Christian by merely saying a rote prayer. Now, notice the words I use carefully, wrote prayer. Like, if we just wrote down a prayer and said, hey, read this, and somebody read it, and then you go, okay, now you're a Christian because you read the prayer that said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Does that work? No. It's not magic. We have to understand how badly we need the King of kings and Lord of lords to pay for our sin on the cross and that I've got to repent of that, turn away from that and follow him. And I go to him in the anguish of my lostness and knowing that without him I'm utterly desperate and utterly hopeless. As Dante wrote, the sign above hell is abandon hope all ye who enter here. 
And when you realize that all you deserve is to go to that place where all hope is abandoned. But right now you have an opportunity to surrender your life to him. And when you give him all of that mess, he comes in and he saves you and he changes you. And he's with you for the rest of your life. You just ought to say, yes, that's awesome. That's what I want. And it's not about a rote prayer. It's about a cry of anguish to God. And he says we suffer with Christ because when we do, we also get the comfort. What comforted Jesus? Hebrews 12 tells us that he endured the cross because of the reward he got. And here's the sad part. It's us. He endured the cross so you could be saved. So he could claim us as his own. So he could make us his children. I'm thinking, Lord, wouldn't you want a bigger prize than that? What love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Who for the glory set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and set down the right hand of God. That's what it says in Hebrews 12. And so Jesus went through that so that we could know him and our and, and when we share in his suffering, boy, the realization of our salvation is so much more. So much more that we want to live for him. We want to obey him. We want to follow him. And in verse 6, again, it's repeated that our suffering is for other people's good. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Did you catch it? Endurance. It's not, I can beat you up or I can beat you down, however, which direction you want to say that. If I can overcome you physically or militarily or, or legally, if I can get my way, if I can trick you, if I can get over on you, boy, I'm stronger, more powerful than you. No, you're weaker. Because you're willing to abuse somebody or something. But when you surrender and say, nope, I'm weak. Lord, do your thing. And we suffer with Christ so that we find the victory and the comfort of Christ, which is, this is going to pay off in the end. It's never good during the journey, but boy, at the end, it is awesome. And when we understand that and we endure the suffering and we get the joy of knowing God and the joy of knowing we're going to heaven, that's an awesome thing. And so, in verse 7, he says that we all share in this. Our hope is For you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our suffering, you'll also share in our comfort. He says, our hope for you is unshaken. Remember, he went went through a lot with them in 1 Corinthians. They rejected him. They didn't want to listen to him. There's a horrible sin in Corinth. He finally got through to them. They took care of it. And then false teachers came in. And Paul is writing this book to help help them understand. And he says, but my hope for you, even though y'all messed up, is not unshaken. Because... As you share in our sufferings, you're also going to share in the good stuff. And I want to go back to verse 4. Because that's about the affliction. But in those same verses, he's talking about comfort. Look at that. The the comfort comes from God in verse 4. Who comforts us. Who, verse before that, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of comforts. He is the one who comforts us in our afflictions. Our comfort doesn't come from Oprah. Our comfort doesn't come from a self-help book. It doesn't come from some psychological trick or some mindset other than the mindset of knowing Christ. 
And our comfort comes through God. I tell you, the craziest people to the world are people who are at peace in the middle of suffering. I mean, just read Facebook. Everybody's looking for revenge or everybody's mad. You know, face your problems. Don't Facebook them. Just, just take it to God. Leave it with him. I got enough problems. I don't need to hear yours. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was a little tongue-in-cheek, but you get my point. Our comfort comes from God, not from others. Now, God may use others. I get that. But ultimately, we are just the vessel bringing God to people who need comfort. So when he comforts us so we can comfort others, we don't go and say, listen, I went through what you went through and I got the answer. No, we go in and say, hey, I discovered the answer and the answer is God. And here's what he wants to do for you. He wants to come alongside you. He wants to be with you in the middle of your suffering. He wants to help you. One of the great lessons you learn when someone is in suffering, you say, well, I don't know how to help them. You don't have to help them. You go be with them and that will help them. Presence is help. But the Bible tells us God's going to come help us. And so right there in verse 4, it comes from God. Not only that, it comes for us to give it away at the end of that verse. So when we are afflicted, we can help those who are being afflicted like we were. So we don't get it to keep it. We get it to give it away. And then we see that it is to be shared abundantly. We, we kind of miss this in the Christian life. Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly... And comfort too. I don't know when we got this way. But we think what everything God did for us was for us. Everything God did for us was for someone else. If it was only for us. We wouldn't be sitting here today. Because the apostles would have never told anybody else. What they, what they had to give away. And the ones they gave it away to. Would have never given it away to anybody else. And the ones they gave it away to. Would have never given it and if you don't give it away, you're not doing what God wants you to do. He comes and he helps you and he gives you this. You share abundantly so you can share abundantly in the comfort as well. And you can give that comfort away according to verse 4 and verse 5. He says, because Christ is sharing it abundantly with you. This is the pattern. This is what Christ is showing us. If you, I'm going to share abundantly in the salvation that I am providing. And then in verse 6, comfort is given for us to us for others good it sounds like I'm repeating myself it says if we're afflicted it's for your comfort and salvation if we're comforted it's for your comfort notice that neither one was for us both of them were for the other person if I'm suffering that's for your sake if I'm comforted that's for your sake we are so self I, I don't say we I am so selfish I just want it for me I just oh Lord please you know don't make me suffer so many times our suffering is self-afflicted, isn't it? So many times, you know, somebody told me recently, well, everything happens for a purpose. I said, yeah, but the purpose might be you're dumb and you make bad choices. <laughs> we kind of talk ourselves into most of our trouble, right? But when we start realizing, if I am truly under affliction for living for Christ or living in this world, that's so I can help you. If God comforts me if I'm troubled, that's for you. It's not for me. And when we quit looking inward and we look hourly, I'll tell you why a nation, a church, an organization dies when they turn inside and start serving themselves instead of those outside of it. 
a, a famous writer, I can't think of his name, unfortunately, he said this, the church is the only institution that exists for those who are not part of it. It's for someone else. And then, lastly in verse 7, we all share in that comfort. Not only is it for one, someone else, it's for all of us together to share together. That's there in verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. He's talking to a whole church here. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. All of you will share it all together. God wants us as a body to suffer and to be comforted as a body together. We ought to hurt when someone else hurts. We ought to rejoice when someone else rejoices. And together we experience this wonderful grace of God. I, I, I read something. I'm, I think it applies here. I'm not sure, but it was so good I'm going to share it. If it didn't apply, this is a commercial break. But I, I, I had saved it and I ran across it this week. And it said, when Paul got to heaven, he was greeted and cheered in by those he had sent there in persecution. This is the nature of the gospel. Do you understand that? Paul gets that. That's why God is helping him write this. To say this. Man, you don't know how bad I blow. You think his... He said at the end of his life, I was a murderer and a blasphemer and God saved me. He never forgot what he did, but he lived by the grace and the mercy and the peace of God that had been taken care of. And he's saying, guys, if God can comfort me, he can comfort you and you need to comfort each other. You get it? Amen. Let me show you how bad Paul suffered in these last verses. This last section, God, Paul experienced God's strength. In his own weakness. For we don't want you to be unaware brothers. Why is he telling them? Is he telling them so they can say oh poor Paul. No because he's going to end it on a victory note. How much God did for him. I don't want you to be unaware brothers. Of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. Remember he spent two years in Ephesus. So that all of Asia heard the gospel within two years. Every person who lived in Asia. And that's not all the way into China. And all it's this area there. Uh, near Turkey, we're in Turkey, and everybody in the space of two years heard the gospel because he's working with the church in the city of Ephesus. But we, he says, in the middle of that, now notice, everybody heard the gospel, but he says, but here's how tough our affliction was while that was going on. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, I hesitate to say this because I know that it, it might hurt somebody's feelings and I don't want that to happen but I want you to hear what Paul is saying in verse 9 he goes on indeed we felt we'd received the sentence of death he said I despaired of living I don't know about you but that sounds suicidal to me wait the great evangelist the guy getting the gospel to everybody in Asia in the middle of that despaired of living yeah there's a public face and there's a private agony okay. 
But, <laughs> verse 9. Wow, that's, that's hard. I'm, I've been struggling with that all week. I've got to say it. I don't want to say it. I've got to say it in the middle of the verse. But, but, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He didn't die. He didn't kill himself. But he said, but emotionally, spiritually, I just, I was dead. But God raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us and he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Because he's in this despair with these people in Corinth. They, they just aren't getting it. And it's killing him figuratively. He says, but God's going to deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. He said, the only reason I'm sharing this is so you will give praise to God and you will thank God for his abundant mercy and his comfort that he gives us. You need to get that comfort too. Now remember I said we can't have strength unless we are weak. And Paul kind of outlines that for us. But did you notice something or think of something that's very, very true? Here's Jesus sitting in heaven. The Bible lets us know he never had to make us. It was his idea to make the universe, according to Scripture in Colossians 1. And then it was by his, the Father's authority and his power and the Holy Spirit moved. All of creation was made. And Revelation tells us he's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So before they did it, he knew he would come and die. And he's in heaven in absolute comfort, in absolute fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They need nothing. They desire nothing. They've got everything, needing nothing. And he limited himself to becoming a human being who can feel pressure and anguish and suffering and pain. Now, when something happens to you and you go, Lord, why are you doing this to me? I don't think you can outsuffer him. He's our example. He did everything by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he endured, the, the Bible tells us that in Hebrews, that through the Spirit, he endured the cross. It tells us in Romans that the Spirit raised him from the dead. He was utterly dependent on God. And through Paul, he tells us, you got to do the same thing. When you go through suffering, when you're afflicted, you got to just depend utterly on God. And in fact, in this same 2 Corinthians, in chapter 13, he says this. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. So we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. It's us to know Jesus came in weakness to die on the cross for us. So we can know the power of God to deliver us from that weakness. So if you want to be strong, I don't say quit striving, but quit striving in your strength. Misquoted, most misquoted verse in the Bible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just for that, Paul said, I know what it is to suffer. I know what it is not to suffer. But in all things, I can, do, I can get through it by Christ who strengthens me. 
He didn't say that so you could win a football game. He said that so you could live life. So that in our weakness, we can have strength. In our struggles, we can have strength. And you may be in a dark, deep hole right now, and you can't see the light anywhere. But I know who is the light who will come to you, and he will deliver you. He will help you. He'll be with you. That verse I read about Paul saying, I asked him three times. He said, no, my grace is sufficient. He didn't take Paul out of the hole he was in. He left that problem in his life so that he would always rely upon God. God may not deliver you physically, but he will deliver you in every other way from that suffering.